Hey, well, good morning. Hey, if, uh, before we jump in, would you guys just mind joining me in prayer real quick? Dear Jesus, thank you uh, so much for this morning. Uh, I just think of all the things happening outside of these walls and things happening in our lives, good and bad, but all those things leading up to us being here. Um, just be with those. Uh, be in those. Be with us. Thank you for loving us. And this morning, help us to be present and help us just to hear what it is that you might be uh, calling us to or leading us to. Pray in your name. Amen. Hey, well, my name's Matt. I'm the high school director here, and uh, it's just a blessing to be able to be here this morning, but then just a, a, a blessing to be able to do what I do week in and week out and hang with my high school friends. Um, just having last service, too. Goodness, I just get all emotional. It's terrible. I hate it. But uh, they, they're, they're amazing. With this upcoming generation that we have, uh, they got a lot of things going for them, and they also have a lot going against them. And so those of you guys who are in their lives, continue to walk with them, continue to love them, pray for them. Um, you high schoolers in the room and middle schoolers, you guys got a lot uh, ahead of you in the future. So I'm excited to see what turns of that. Uh, I was an intern here a couple years ago, and my first time talking to middle school, I gathered them, and I, I took a picture, a, a selfie with them, and I said, this is, you know, if everything goes south and you guys all leave, I can prove to my friends that you guys were here at one point in time. So I'm going to do the same thing this morning, but there's a little bit of a, a different reason. If you're not a morning person, you don't have to smile. If you are, smile. That would be great. Uh, it's just real quick. Okay, perfect. That's going to be for my grandma, so thank you guys for that. Uh, she's going to love it. Really will. Uh, grandma, you're listening. I love you. Can't wait to see you this summer. So uh, here's the other thing as I get organized. I'm a millennial. I hate taking selfies, so know that. And my, my high school friends make fun of my skinny jeans. They're not skinny. I just make them look skinny, okay? That's really the truth. So, uh, here, let's jump into this. We're, we're doing this series called Thresholds, and this is about people like me, you. It's about people in general coming uh, to know Jesus and the different thresholds that they have to cross over in order to do that. And so, uh, if you've been here the last couple weeks, if you haven't, I need to recap practically every week, but we're going to do that really quick. First week, Eric talked about moving from this place of distrust to trust, and how typically the people that we trust in our lives usually have a lack of hypocrisy in their lives. And so what does it look like for us to look at the hypocrisy in our life and see what needs to be cut out in order to be more trustworthy, right? And then we had Carl come in, and he talked about how do we move from this place of complacency to curiosity. And uh, we get to do that by living in a way that encourages people to get curious about why is it the way that we live, the way that we do. And then third week, Dave uh, came home and he, he taught, taught us about this part of going to a place of openness and how he talked about some, a story of his and unself-righteousness and how that was practically a turnoff to uh, everything, really everything that he had, had worked with. And so he talked, about, he talked about that and how people, whether they deserve love or not, we get to offer that love to them. And that love that we get to offer, whether we think they deserve it or not, might actually move them more towards being open. And then last week, Eric talked about seeking. But there's a point where, whether we're seeking or we've decided to do life with Jesus, that we can look at our lives and incorporate these three things and, and look at this. Can we live more simple? Can we be more present? And can we live external or visible? so people can see what's happening in our life. So, uh, if you like my amazing recaps, you can go online, listen to the messages on there, and it, they're a lot better than, than what I'm able to share here. But today's the final threshold of this series, and, and what it's about, it's called entering into the kingdom. Or as Eric put it last week, it's giving the keys of our life over 
And what you're going to hear me say a lot this morning is that it is, it's this committing our life to do, committing to do life with Jesus. That's, that's the wording I'm going to use a lot this morning. And there's two themes that really popped up with this entering in the kingdom. And one of them was urgency towards a decision, and then the other one was doing life together. So urgency towards a decision and doing life together. And uh, my high school friends get to put up with me week in and week out, and I invite them into how my brain thinks. And when I heard entering into the kingdom, immediately I thought of the magic kingdom because I'm a child at heart. So Disneyland, the Disney places, that is what came to my mind. And I'm sure you've heard of it, but just to kind of get your brain rolling with the last four weeks and how they relate to the magic kingdom, we're going to go that route, all right? So First, when someone goes to the Magic Kingdom and they share with you about it, you trust that it was worth their time. You trust the ads you're seeing, the marketing that they put out. You trust it, that it's going to be worth your time. And then you get curious. You look at prices. You look at trip dates. You look at places you might stay. And at some point in time, you have to be down to change. You have to be down to go live in a different state, be somewhere else. And then you actually have to go seek that place out by driving or flying there. You then actually have to go seek out the Magic Kingdom. And then when you're at the Magic Kingdom, there's a big lake. You get out of the parking lot and you have to get on a boat or a monorail to go across this lake. And then you're in the Magic Kingdom to a grand entrance. So I think you get how this kind of relays in my brain of all these different series. And uh, if you love Disney or don't like Disney, buckle up because that's where we're going this morning, all right? So the first topic that I mentioned was urgency towards making a decision. We talked about someone who is seeking last week, and at some point in time, they're going to reach a moment where they have to make decisions. I think of my life, I lose something, I look for it for about five minutes, and then I am left with my two decisions, to either give up and realize it's lost and buy something new, or I ask Ash, and she knows exactly where it is. Those are kind of the two options that I'm left with, and the reason I say that is because this Threshold series isn't just to give you the quick answers while walking with someone through life. People are going to look a lot longer. People are going to look shorter. It's just there's no rhythm and rhyme to it. We all have different stories. It's about doing this relationally with people, okay? So here's, uh, I talked about urgency. Let's talk about the urgency that I'm not talking about real quick. Uh, me and Ash have a three-year-old nephew, and we got to go to Disney World with him in January. And he was having a blast, and we got to go on Pirates of the Caribbean. Really fun ride. One of my favorites. I had done it in the California uh, Disneyland, right? And so now we're going in the one in Florida, and we're on the boat, and I knew that there was some more just extreme things on the ride, but I didn't really tell anyone. So I forgot to mention that there's a 30-foot drop while we're in this boat, and I forgot to mention that there's, you kind of do it in a black hole. And so as we enter into this area, three-year-old nephew is kind of whimpering as he thinks that we're about to plunge to our death, and then we do, right? And then me and Ash spend the next 15 minutes trying to convince him that the skeletons and the boats on fire and the loud noises and the dark places are really cool. That, w that was what happened. I share this story because the urgency that I'm not talking about is we're not trying to create a life or death scenario for someone who's going to this last threshold. It's just a reminder that this is a relational time where we get to start or continue conversations with them um, towards Jesus. So here's one of the things this might make a little bit more sense in, in realistic terms. Penn, who is uh, from the magician group Penn and Teller, he's the big talkative guy, Teller's the little one, but they are a really well-known group, but he also is a well-known atheist, and he has this to say about Christianity. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling this because it would make it socially awkward, 
How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And this next part that he says is so good. He says, I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this salvation is more important than that. I love this quote for many reasons, but for today's topics, the things that really stood out to me is the one, the, ta- the tackling part he mentions. Because it tells me that that person's worth fighting for. It tells me that that person is worth fighting for. And it's obviously a metaphor, but it emphasizes on this fact that that's a life that matters. It's a life that matters, and that life that matters has the opportunity to do life with Jesus, have a life-changing transformation in Jesus that we might actually get to be a little bit of a part of. Maybe not. But it's a life that matters. So we get to a point where they need to make a decision, right? I mentioned at the Magic Kingdom that there are two options to get to the Magic Kingdom, and it's by boat or by monorail. So you get off the parking lot, hit the tram, and at some point in time, you realize you cannot get to the Magic Kingdom without hopping on one of those two options. And you have to take a step forward in one of those directions to get there. You've got to let some conductor or a captain of the boat lead you to that spot. I think that's really similar to this last threshold that we're talking about, that there's a heart change that happens in all of us, or will happen, where there's a moment where we realize... I I can't do this on my own. And then there's a conscious decision to take a step in one of those directions to realize I I gotta give up the keys of my life. Well, I have to put trust into something bigger than myself to get to where life is calling me. There also could be the the reversal where this is not for me. Nope, this is not gonna be a good chance. And you, you take a step back to the tram in the parking lot of life. If you're walking alongside someone Regardless of their decision, I encourage you just continue to be present in their life and to walk alongside them. That makes a lot of sense to me that this isn't a sales pitch, that this is a relational um, time that we just get to have walking with people. So this is the second part that I want to talk about is doing life together. They've said yes, right? They've said yes. And so back to, we're going to go to Disneyland, the opposite side. We're going to go to California. And I think Toontown uh, was... I think opened in 1994. My parents somehow won a ticket or raffling or a contest, or I don't know how, I, how they won it or if I want to know, but we got to be one of the top 100 people or first 100 people to go into Toontown before it was open to the public. And I was a four-year-old at the time, so I just remember gallons of ice cream and meeting all the characters and getting to go to their house. And they gave us a key to the city, but that was my first memory, and, and it was with my parents in, in Disneyland. And then Three years ago or so, we got to go to Disney World with my in-laws, and they showed us all the tips and the tricks, the do's and the don'ts, what you do, what you don't, all of that. Same thing with this. When someone makes a decision to do life with Jesus, they need people just as much as they did before as they do now, once they've said yes. And the reason why I know that is because I do. And if you were to look at your own life, you might land on that same point that I actually might need some people in my life as well. You see, we need people in our life to be able to give us new perspective. Maybe say, hey, here's a couple things to change, or here's some, some tricks of, of going about life. So the second theme is doing life together. The thing is, is this Threshold series has, has been about walking with people towards making a decision to do life with Jesus or not. That's true. But I think there's a part of me that just said, I would be doing you guys wrong if I didn't say that it was just as much about that if it wasn't just as so much about our own lives as well. See, when I do life with people, I I enjoy people who can be real with me. 
And I put myself in the place of shoes of someone who might be seeking things. And if we use trust for an example, being able to say, hey, this is something that I might have a hard time trusting in. And if I'm walking alongside someone, I, I, I love when they're like, hey, me too. Or mine's a little bit different, but they have an answer. Even if they say, I don't know, it means they're engaged. But here's the thing. When we're walking with people through life, the question that comes to my mind is, how are we able to walk with people if we're not doing that ourselves or we're not willing to? I think that's the key. When we're walking alongside people, we either should be living that life or we should be willing to lean into that to where the Lord's calling us. Here's some things to help get our, our brains kick-started of what does that practically look like to walk with some people or for you to do it in your own life. Let's just go through the weeks here real quick that we've done. Trusting. Are you willing to trust God in the pains of fertility or lack thereof? Are you willing to trust God when we lose a loved one or lose a job or in our marriage or in our divorce? Complacency. Are you ready to pull that topic out of your life that's been saying the same way for years? Is it time to pull that topic out and walk with someone through there? Change, why did you look at that website again or take it out and blow up on your family again or shut everyone, out, everyone in your life out again when things got hard? Seeking, are you looking for fulfillment and value and success in all of the places except where Jesus is actually calling you to find those things? Some of these things relate to me. I don't know what it is for you, but I would say sit in those. Sit in those questions. See what it is about your life. If you've done it before, it's good to do it again, and if you never have, I think whether you're seeking or you've done life with Jesus currently, or you're doing life with Jesus currently, you have the opportunity to look at your life and evaluate those things. So here's the thing. As you guys think of maybe some questions in your own life, let me invite you to my college years when I played basketball. I was the big man in our offense who screened the little point guard, right? That was my job. So I would set the screen, and I had three options. One option was I set the screen, and they decide to go with the ball, and I pop out and shoot the three-pointer. The other option was I set the screen, and they switch, so I roll and have a little guy def defending me. Or I set the screen, they try to jump, and I can slip it and have an open uh, avenue to the hoop. Here's my basketball terms. But here's the thing. I started doing that in seventh grade. I started practicing what happens when you do a screen. So by the time when I'm playing college basketball, I don't need to think about the three options that I have. I can just read what's happening in the game to be able to make the right decision. In this room, I think there's many of us who have the opportunity or have taken the opportunity to lean into faith and practice what we've been called to. Before we jump into this story here, I just want you guys to think about maybe in your life, what are some of those things that you feel like you've been practicing and just get some of those things. What are those things that have been sitting in my life that, that I might actually know what to do when the game time calls? So the story that we're going to look at today, I think it just has a really great character that, that portrays that, a person from history. And so here's where the story's going to pick up. If you want to turn to it, it's going to be on the screen as well, but it's in Acts 9, 10 through 19. And what's happening before this story where we join up is uh, it's talking about the man named Paul. At this point in time, Paul is named Saul. He later goes on to be a big part of the church, but at this point in time, he is given permission to arrest and kill people who believe in Jesus. That is what he's been given control of. And so he's on his way to Damascus and has an encounter with God, and he's blinded and gets to Damascus. And this is where the story picks up with a man named Ananias. Now there's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, 
And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. There's two things in this story that I want to point out. Right off the bat, Ananias is described as a disciple. For many of us, that might actually be the life that we're living now. A disciple is just someone who does life with Jesus. I like that part of the story because it reminds me, he's just a normal guy. Normal guy like me, like you. And the second part that I want to mention is his reaction. One, he's living the life that allows him to be able to hear when the Lord is calling him to somewhere. He's been living that life. And then his reaction is full of fear, rightly so in this story, as he's pretty much next on the hit list. Paul was going to Damascus for Ananias. So he's fearful. I like that part of the story because it, I, when I look at my own life, there's a lot of things I am fearful of. A lot of things that might actually keep me from being able to lean in. So, if you are looking at this story and figuring out, am I, am I living the life that if I was to put my shoes in Ananias, that I might be able to respond to the Lord's calling and would I be able to overcome my fear? Because what I love about Ananias is he's a, a normal guy who was over, able to overcome his fear because he became courageous in the Lord and then was able to love on the man that had one of the biggest impacts on the early church. So when we look at our lives and you're in his shoes, trying to figure out where you might land on the spectrum, here's a place that might be helpful to look is where are you spending your time and your money at? That's one area to help evaluate. Where am, I, I, where am I spending my time and money might just be able to give you a little bit of a pattern of where am I at in this spectrum of things. And I think this morning, I think there's a lot of us in this room who might actually just need to hear that you have what it takes. You have been walking with Jesus and you just need the confidence to lean in, hear where the Lord's calling and step up to the back because you're going to do just fine at the plate, right? You just need to lean in, have the confidence. You're ready to walk alongside someone and to walk with people. And then some of us in here might actually feel like we, we're unequipped to be able to do this. We have a lot of things in our life that we need to fix before we're able to walk alongside people. And over and over again, I, th- I see in the Bible that people, it's, it's messy people with messy lives walking in the mess of everyone's lives. Walking with Jesus in our mess is what we're called to do. Living in the kingdom is done with others, shoulder to shoulder, willing to work on ourselves, but we're all heading towards Jesus. So as this morning what we talked about is for the final threshold, there's urgency towards making the decision and doing life together. But in that, I want to encourage you guys to be real with yourself, be vulnerable, and to lean in to what it is that Jesus is calling you to or what he wants to show in your life. So as we've done in the last four weeks of this series, we're going to be able to hear a part of someone's story. So if you guys could please welcome up Juling.
Thank you, Matt. This is the story of how I crossed a major threshold and came to faith in Christ. I grew up in a traditional Chinese home in Taiwan. My mother practiced Buddhism, which was a popular religion of the Taiwanese. My dad did not have a religious affiliation. And as a kid, I remember going to Buddhist temples with my brothers and sisters. I was very curious about religion. As a, teen, as a teen, I often sought out books on spirituality. I even came upon um, books and experts, excerpts from Proverbs without even knowing that they were from the Bible. So when I entered college, Christian friends invited me to their campus fellowship. I went. They were very friendly, and yet I felt I didn't quite fit in. I really didn't understand what they were talking about. My life at the time was going well. I felt no need for God. It was not until my children grew, uh, grew up and my oldest daughter was about to enter her teen years that I felt a deep need um, to find good parenting principles to teach them. While living in the States with a Chinese background, surrounded by mainstream culture, I often find myself seeking. As my beautiful daughters grew, I felt an urgency to teach them something in preparation for their upcoming challenges as American teens. I desired to teach them the truth. So I can say, if you base your life on this, you'll be fine. But exactly what that was, I had no idea. So one year early in early November, I was surprised to run into my dear friend Peggy from Ohio while I was out shopping. Peggy and I had been close friends when we lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. Our kids had often had um, sleepovers and play dates. So you can imagine my delight in seeing Peggy uh, at Costco in Superior. And it turned out that Peggy's sister had just relocated to Colorado and was attending a local Chinese church. She was visiting her. So because I really wanted to bring my daughters and my hus husband to see her, I promised Peggy that I would meet her at her sister's church that Sunday. On the day we attended, the Chinese church had a seminar on how to raise children with biblical principles. I sat and listened and found a few practical takeaways. Amazingly, the next day, my friend Debbie called to invite me to the introduction class of Bible Study Fellowship. I, in the past, I declined um, her invitations, but not this time. When I showed up that Wednesday, I heard a lecture on John 3, and, and yet I had left feeling puzzled. I had never heard something like this before, I thought. And yet something inside me wanted to go back and hear more. So two weeks later, we were in John 5. And when Jesus asked the lame man by the pool, do you want to get well? 
And Jesus said to him, Get up and take up your mat and walk. Candy Van Ark, the teaching leader, taught it as, Do you want to be made whole? If so, take up your responsibility. I was dumbfounded. How could this Christian God know exactly I have been feeling? How did he know how empty I felt? And why, after only a few lectures, did I feel Candy was speaking directly to me? So since my mother's death four years prior, I missed her terribly. I have tried filling my life with activities, book club, and hobbies, but I still felt a deep void. A day later, I was reading the lecture notes. It further explained the definition of faith. It's, I learned that faith is a, is a deliberate choice that involves not just the intellect, but also the heart. I couldn't say no to it anymore. With my heart pounding and my body trembling, I gave my life to Jesus that day, alone in my quiet kitchen. The invalid in John 5 had been lying there for 38 years, and that year I had turned 38. I was blind, and now I see. And that's how I felt. And my life has never been the same since. I have come from death to life. And thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's uh, Eric. If you and I have never met, I'm one of the pastors here. And really glad that I had to come to this table with us as we continue